What's Baking Cake Nation, and welcome back to the Chemistry Cake Online Podcast, where chatting about chemistry has never been sweeter. Chemistry Cake is online, and today airs our fourth episode of our chemical education season. So far, we have had some pretty cool folks chat with us about how they go about educating young minds with chemistry. Today's sweet guest dives more specifically into chemical education research. She got her bachelor's degree in chemistry at uh, the Universidad Simón Bolívar in uh, Venezuela, her PhD in chemistry at the University of South Florida in Tampa, and is currently a professor at North Carolina State University. Folks, would you help me in giving a fresh out the oven warm welcome to my friend, Dr. Maria Gagarda Williams. Maria, thank you so much for joining me today. How are you doing? I'm great. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to have you. Um, so before we dive into the work that you do, I wanted to ask about your favorite molecule, which you said was benzene. Uh, and you said that benzene was your favorite molecule because it is perfect. Um, so could you tell me a little more about this? I'm so fascinated. So I have a bit of an obsession with symmetry, always have. I mm -hmm. like things to be symmetrical and I like things to look good and to just be perfect. And I just think that benzene looks perfect. It has six equal sides. It has the alternating double bonds. It's just beautiful. And it's yeah. flat, which I love. I love that Benson is flat. So. Yes. I, you know, and I actually, because like when we learn in Gen Chem, like the bonds, like double bonds are shorter than single bonds. Like in benzene, all of the sides are actually the equal and so, they're, they're all the same size, which is actually quite satisfying. I know. It's perfect. Okay. Well, yeah, I can see, I can see when you say that it's perfect now. And they, oh, I do and enjoy they symmetry. Yeah, they're so nicely. Just imagine mm -hmm. a whole field packed with benzene. I mean, they're just beautiful. And they stack on top of each other like pancakes. Yeah, they're because they're flat. See? Because they're flat. It's awesome. I mean, there's nothing not to like. I mean, it is That's a true. carcinogen in real life and all of that, <laughs> but I don't want to drink benzene. I just want to draw benzene. So it's right. Okay. It's a beautiful hexagon to draw. I, yeah. It really is. That it is such a satisfying shape to draw, it for is. sure. Yeah, and when when someone draws benzene well, it's you could you know, like they know how to draw hexagons. Exactly, um, they're a chemist. Yeah, <laughs> that's so cool. Okay, so so now that we know a little more about why benzene is perfect and why it's your favorite molecule, um, I want to know more about your research. So you mentioned that you are combining the best science, which is chemistry, and I agree, uh, with the best intentions, which is education, which I also agree, um, to help everybody learn and enjoy chemistry. Um, so could you tell me more about that? What does your research look like? So um, here's the thing. I've been teaching chemistry for a long time, longer mm -hmm. than you've been alive, actually. Yeah. And one of the things that I've always known like from day one, from the first day that I took a chemistry class, is that this stuff is not that hard. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you think about it, there's some very elegant, very beautiful principles in chemistry that always hold true. And so if we could just get people to see how beautiful this stuff is and how elegant and how constant it is, I think anybody could learn to love chemistry. Right. I just think that sometimes people like to look at the complications and like to look at the exceptions because 
that makes them feel good. You know, it makes them feel that they're special because they were able to master these weird things. Mm-hmm. But I like to focus on the stuff that doesn't change and the stuff that is constant and reliable and and it's going to be there for you all the time. You know, like mm-hmm. when you when you take an organic chemistry class and somebody just li- loves to throw around all these name reactions and they look, they think of themselves as being so smart because they know what all these name reactions mean. And in my mind, I'm just thinking, you know, if you just draw the mechanism, those curved arrows are never going to lie to you. And it doesn't matter if you know the name of the reaction or not, you can still get you can still get it done and you can get yeah. a good result. Mm-hmm. So I've always tried to focus on that. You know, how do we make chemistry so that other people can appreciate it and like it? Not because I want everybody to turn in, into a chemistry major. That has never been my goal. I think people should major in whatever makes them happy. But just because it's beautiful and why hide that beauty so that we can look smarter? You know, I, right. I've, I've never liked that. Yeah, I I do appreciate your use of the word beautiful to describe chemistry because I think that chemistry is beautiful and that's why we have the podcast, right? Like I want to show um, the different facets of chemistry to, to folks that are interested um, and how compl- – like and, and, you know, like chemistry is complex, but there you're right. There are some tr- like tried and true – uh, things of chemistry that are constant and reliable and steady, which I also really appreciate. Um, it is really an elegant and beautiful science. Um, and I would even argue very artistic as well. It is. I mean, acid-based chemistry is never going to let you down, no matter what happens, right? Yeah. It literally has no exceptions. Um, Lewis structures can carry you a very long ways into right. figuring out how, what is going on at the molecular level. And yes, there, there are super complex parts of chemistry, but, but it would be, I, I feel that it would be unfair. And, and we are unfair sometimes when we try to introduce stuff that is divergent just for the sake of making things harder. You know, mm-hmm. like when you're taking general chemistry and they hit you with the solubility rules, but then there's all these exceptions and, mm-hmm. and that's like such a big part of teaching. I think it would maybe be better to spend more time on how beautiful and constant the solubility rules are and maybe leave it there for non-majors. Mm-hmm. You know, why make people's lives miserable when there's so much, <laughs> so much to be learned and so much good content? I just, I just, that's where I, that's where I'm at. Mm. So my research kind of comes from that, you know, it comes from, how do we make this content more accessible? Mm-hmm. How do we make this content more interesting? Um, so fun story, I've been teaching the non-majors organic chemistry class for, I don't know, eight, 10 years probably. Mm-hmm. Um, and nobody ever challenges me for that class because nobody wants to teach the non-majors. And I love them. I mean, I think they're so adorable with all their ideas that they bring to the class and with all their little different interests that they bring to the class. And I do a lot of projects in the class. And then I always try to make sure that they get to choose what molecule they want to work with, you know, that they get to decide, how do I want to approach this? Um, And I feel like if we did that more often in chemistry, we would get more engagement, you know, just let people have some choice and some say in what they are going to work on. 
and and listen to what they have to say. I mean, I learned so much from my students. They um, they just bring so many new things and and so many interesting applications to the class. Mm-hmm. So I just I just love that. Yeah. Wow. I really love that too. I, I always learn so much from my students um, every term that I do teach. And I, I've not been teaching for very long. So um, I can only imagine how much you've been able to learn from your students as well. Um, so you had mentioned that you want to make chemistry more accessible, which I am totally on board for. So what are some ways in which we can do that? Okay, so we started a few years ago by making some lab tutorial videos, right? Mm-hmm. And the idea behind those was that if we could explain to people in a very simple way how to use the instrumentation that we have in our lab, we would make the lab less scary and less intimidating. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, obviously, you're a chemist. You're probably not scared of lab equipment, but a lot of people are. You know, Mm -hmm. a lot of people are very worried that they're going to break our instruments or that Mm -hmm. they're going to cause a problem or that they're not going to get good data because they don't know how to use the equipment. This is a this is a real concern for people. And it it causes them an incredible cognitive load because they're so worried about the hardware that they don't spend enough time thinking about the chemistry that's going on. Mm -hmm. So a few years ago. I decided to get into the business of making lab tutorials. And from the very beginning, I knew that I I didn't want to be on camera and I didn't want to be doing the talking. And that probably my best bet would be to work with some students that could help me create something that was fresh and interesting and relevant. Mm -hmm. And so I got very lucky because the first group of students that helped me make my very first tutorial, it was, it was a, I call them the dynamic duo. They know who they are. Um, (laughs) They were very good at, I mean, they were good at everything. When you put the two of them together, they were an awesome team. And so we learned um, by asking people, we learned about what students want to see in a lab tutorial. We learned what the idea length of that tutorial would be, what would be the elements that, that it makes sense to have in a lab tutorial. And so we started to, um, really develop a knack for making really good short videos that can help demystify the whole process of being in the lab. And so that was very successful. We actually um, did some research and we demonstrated that students really like them and that it helped uh, for us to achieve our learning objectives. We were able to publish that. And it turns out that there were very few people in the world that were making videos with their students especially putting their students in the driver's seat, not just as actors, but actually having the students develop the content. And I didn't know that. I didn't know that when we started, that this was going to be such a unique project, but it got a lot of attention. It got a lot of traction. Mm -hmm. And then people really decided that there was something to this and we were able to secure some funding to make even more lab videos. So we've been um, going at it for a while. We transition from lab videos into making lecture videos, review lecture videos. Hmm. And um, after we, we had experience with that, one of the great things about being at a large university like I am is that you get to talk to all kinds of people. Right. And there were some people in the College of Design that were getting very interested in making virtual reality simulations 
And we partner with some of them to create our virtual reality organic chemistry labs. And so that was sort of like the next generation after we knew how to make good lab videos, it was to go into making lab experiences. So the, the virtual reality labs go beyond the tutorial video and into the realm of actually making you feel like if you were there. And like, if you're in the lab, clicking buttons, uh, you know, pouring solutions, doing whatever needs to be done to complete your lab. Right. That's so cool. I, I do remember seeing a tweet about uh, these videos. Um, and I also remember like how at the start of the uh, pandemic, I wanted to get into contact with you because it was like, oh man, like these videos would be so helpful um, having to move to a virtual setting. Um, so that's so cool, the stuff that you're doing. Yeah, we, we have spent a fair amount of time on making the videos and they really did come in very handy when we had a pandemic. We, we never, we didn't have a crystal ball. We didn't know that a pandemic was coming. We made these videos for inclusion to try to help students that couldn't be in the lab have access right. to the lab. So we get a lot of pregnant students every year. We get a lot of military students that may get deployed in the middle of the semester. So the idea was to help them. And it turns out that, you know, all of a sudden nobody could be in the lab. So we ended up having a resource that we didn't anticipate that we were going to have. So that was, that was very good. That was very helpful to us. Yeah, that is. So I also really appreciate the motivation of having, like having these videos, right. Uh, to include folks to be in the lab who can't be in the lab. Um, especially folks of the disabled community, um, of folks who are, you know, pregnant or folks who may be deployed uh, if they're in the military. So that's really cool. And I appreciate um, all of the work that you're doing. Well, the funny thing is that when we first proposed that we wanted to do this, I mean, as you may imagine, making a whole semester worth of virtual reality labs is not cheap. Yeah. Um, there was an investment. There was a time investment. There was a resource investment. And when we first proposed that we were going to do this, most people thought that we were crazy and that mm -hmm. it was going to be a waste of time. And we just kept going. And I remember ha having a meeting with our team um, and telling them, you know, I think that we're doing this for the right reason. And that in the end, this is going to help somebody. Yes, it is expensive. Yes, it is an investment. It takes a lot of our time, but I think it's going to end up helping somebody. Little did I know that it, it was going to end up helping everybody because, you know, all of a sudden none of us could come to lab and then this was all we had. And the funny thing is that other universities are using the videos too. So we not only help students at NC State, we have helped students at many other places too. That's so cool. Oh, wow. This is such a good chat. Uh but it does seem, it does look like we're about to, to we're approaching um, the end of the, the time, Maria. But thank you so much for telling me about your research because that is so cool. Um, of course, though, not before I ask the most important question of the, of the entire discussion. Are, are you ready for it? I'm ready. Are you sure? I am. Okay. What is your favorite cake flavor and why? 
So that's such a hard question because I like to bake and I like all kinds of cake flavors. Um, so I, I have two favorites mm-hmm. and, um, and they may not even be the same favorites I had yesterday, but I do love a good citrusy cake, a good vanilla cake with some citrus filling. I love that. And then I also love a good chocolate cake because mm-hmm. chocolate cake is like so good. Oh, yeah. So I would have to go with both of them, but not together because I don't want citrus with my chocolate. I want them separate. Ah, uh, I see. So like not, not even like orange with chocolate. No, uh, some people love that and I respect that. I have mm-hmm. even made cakes like that because people ask me to make them, but mm-hmm. I like my citrus on one side and my chocolate on the other side. Gotcha. Gotcha. No, chocolate raspberry, I, I could go for. So yeah, mm. I'm not opposed to chocolate and fruit, just not just chocolate favorite. and citrus. Right. Okay. How, okay. So you've spoken, you, you said that you've, um, you bake. Mm-hmm. And so my question is, have you ever made a tiramisu? I have made a tiramisu. Yes. Oh, yeah. That is my favorite cake place. My, <laughs> my husband loves tiramisu. So I have uh, made it. However, well, I, I made it uh, with um, ladyfingers that I bought at the store. Right. And I've always wanted to learn how to make the ladyfingers so I can make the whole thing from scratch. But I haven't ever taken the time to learn that. So that's on my that's on my list of um, dream bakes is yeah. learning how to make ladyfingers. And I want to learn how to bake panettone, which is that Italian Ooh. Christmassy thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I've heard of it. I've never had it, but I've heard of it. And I hear that it's like, so when it's, it. when it's fresh, it's really good. I hate it when it, because a lot of times you, you get them and they're not super fresh and then they're not as good, but I want to learn how to bake that. And, and they have the cutest little paper um, mold that you have to bake them in. So that sounds mm. really interesting to me. That's so cool. Oh, this has been such a sweet chat, Maria. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. It was super fun. I'm so glad. Um, and I really did love learn- learning about your research and the motivation behind it. Um, yeah, it's been a really sweet chat. Uh, and to the listeners at home, thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed our discussion as well. If you would like to follow the many adventures of Dr. Maria Gallardo-Williams, you are welcome to follow her on Twitter at Teach for a Living, uh, which will be linked in the description. And if you would like to partake in the hype and hop aboard the hype train, choo-choo, you are more than welcome to follow me on Twitter at Chemistry Cake. Well, folks, uh, that's all we've got for you today. This is your gentle reminder to stay hydrated, to keep the hype alive, and to edify our village. Be kind to yourselves and to others. Thanks for tuning in, Cake Nation. This is Chemistry Cake, signing off.